Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Alpharetta, it's time for Profit Sense with Bill McDermott. Good morning. Welcome to Profit Sense. This podcast dives into the stories behind some of Atlanta's successful businesses and business owners and the professionals that advise them. We help local business leaders get the word out about the important work they're doing to serve their market, their community, and their profession, as well as discuss current issues that business owners are facing today across a wide variety of industries. I'm your host, Bill McDermott, and this show is presented by The Profitability Coach. When business owners want to increase their profitability, they often don't have the expertise to know where to start or what to do. I leverage my knowledge and relationships as a banker to identify the hurdles getting in the way and create a plan to deliver profitability they never thought possible. We have three great guests on the show today. Nancy McGill with Cartridge World. Nancy, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here, Bill. And Neely Shaw with the Law Offices of Neely. Shaw, Neely, so glad to have you this morning. Thank you for having me. Excited and to be here. Carl Barham with uh, Transworld Business Owners of Atlanta Peachtree. Carl, welcome. Glad you're on Profit Sense. Thank you so much, Bill, for having us on. So, Nancy, I'm going to start with you. Cartridge World, coming up on 20 years in business, Cartridge World won a Gwinnett Chamber Business Award for 2022. You obviously run a successful business. What are some of the key ingredients to your business success? Well, Bill, we do a lot of things to try to be successful. One thing is we are constantly adding to our inventory. We try to keep new cartridges and hard-to-find cartridges in stock, and we're constantly adding printers to our fleet so that we can sell all those to businesses and to individuals. We do have a retail location. Um, Cartridge World is a franchise. I have the Lawrenceville location, but we service everywhere, so we are out there networking and marketing and giving people a lot of advice and how they can have their printers last longer and also print more efficiently. Um, One thing we did a few years ago is we started a no-cost printer program. And what that is, is we provide the printer and the maintenance at no cost. All the customer does is buy cartridges from us. Oh, wow. So we have found that that is a great way to build relationships, to help with the e-commerce competition that we have, and it makes it a lot easier for the customers. Um, We also do a custom online ordering system that's specific for their business. So we've added a lot of different things over time to make it more efficient and easier for customers to use us. We've also added a new point of sale system that's very cloud-based, which made COVID much simpler because we could have some work from home and still be working on the same system. And it's the customization I was talking about for the customer. So they can go online, see how much they've ordered. They can help budget for the next year because it has all their costs and everything that they've done. And it's just a real easy system for customers to go in and they can also pay that way. So it just streams line and they can order 24 seven. Yeah. And we'll email them back and let them know we got the order and when they'll have it. <laughs> wow. That is uh that is a great system. And I, I know how frustrating it is for me when all of a sudden I have uh uh, the uh, low uh, ink light on my on my printer and want to get that and and uh, what a great system to have and uh, uh, a much needed service because when you got to print you got to print yes you do so I wanted to switch um, to talking about the beginning and so starting from the beginning uh, you uh, you certainly must have had some inf- inspiration to lead you to start Cartridge World in 2004. Would you mind sharing that with our listening audience? 
Um, yes, it was actually an article in the Wall Street Journal that was talking about refilling cartridges and remanufacturing toners and did a lot of research with different companies. Nobody did ink and toner. They did one or the other. And I was like, well, most businesses have both. And back in the day, there were a lot more inks than toners. Now it's pretty much flip-flopped. But I picked Cartridge World, which was a good thing because almost all the other companies are now gone. So Cartridge World has been a successful franchise um, internationally. But that was the main reason I wanted a business that didn't have a huge retail um, space. I had had a previous business where I had like 20,000 square feet facilities. It was a workout place. And I wanted to have, you know, employees, but not, you know, 100 employees. So it's been a good fit. And it's also something that I said, wow, I can actually make money. I can save customers money and I can help the environment all at the same time. So I Jumped in with two feet, had no idea I'd have the technical knowledge about printers that I have now, (laughs) but it's been fun and it's been great. It's a great way to get out and meet local businesses and get to know what they do, networking, meeting lots of people all the time, and just building relationships with local businesses, which is really a good way to run a business and makes it fun. Wow. And uh, that story will inspire others. We're talking this morning with Nancy McGill, who is owner and president of Cartridge World Lawrenceville. Uh, And as she mentioned, was the first Cartridge World to open in Gwinnett as a locally owned and operated franchise. uh, Her mission is to help each customer with their printing needs, with quality products, education, expert printing advice, and great customer service. And so, Nancy, I perceive that your industry is really quite competitive. And what do you feel differentiates Cartridge World from its competitors? It is very competitive, and e-commerce has been something we've had to tackle over the last few years. That was not the case 18 years ago. We pride ourselves in knowing our customers. We know their names. We know about what they use for printing. We know their cartridges. We know when they're starting to have headaches with a printer, we can suggest a replacement printer or their growing business, they can use our no-cost printer program. We have a few businesses with up to 7 to 10 of the free printers, and it's fun to watch them grow and help them be successful and help keep them from having the headaches. You get a person when you call us. You don't have to punch a lot of buttons, Uh and we can problem-solve a lot over the phone. So we have a lot of people calling us with their printer headaches, and we can ask the questions and hopefully resolve it, and we also have expanded our on-site repair service Um, So we can go and do repairs on site for printers too, but just making it personal, getting to know um, the customers and having that added value that it's more than just dollars and cents. It's the value that they get. They get a person, they get that relationship and we make it a partnership. So we don't do any type of contracts. We want it to work on both sides and have it be a win-win for everybody. Yeah, what a great idea. And, and oh my gosh, not calling an 800 number and talking to a electronic voice, calling and you actually get a person. Uh, uh, what great customer service. So kudos to, to you and your team. I see also from your LinkedIn profile when I looked that you're very community-minded. Uh, you're active in Rotary. Uh, you're a Gwinnett Chamber Ambassador. Uh, you're a board member of the Gwinnett United Way. So why is giving back to the community so important to you? Well, for me, it's giving back to businesses and supporting other businesses that have helped me grow my business over the last 18 years. 
It makes it a better place to live. Um, as a Rotarian, I get to make meals for people, raise money for food co-ops, and it really feels good when you can be at a school and read to an elementary school student or around the holidays, we fill child's wishes for some clothes and shoes and toys and seeing the smiles that we can bring and just making their life better, which fulfills me, myself. I'm just very fortunate to have a great staff and a great team and to have a successful business. So it's allowed me to do a lot of donations for a lot of different nonprofits over the years. Um, you know, we've been successful. And as a chamber ambassador, my favorite thing is to get to know businesses. I like to hear what you do. And I want to know what makes you unique. Why should I use your real estate company or your law practice or your trans world? What makes you unique? And then I like to go out and introduce them to people and also share with people that I know about that business. And I really love to be a connector. And that's my give back to the chamber because that is what jump started me when I started Cartridge World. Because people didn't know anything about refills or remanufactured toners at the time. So people would call and ask if we had gun cartridges or game cartridges. <laughs> we get a call here and there still, believe it or not. <laughs> so Cartridge World is all about printer cartridges. But um, for me, I just like the relationship building and being able to be active in the local community. And I think that's probably a key to your success, isn't it? Building those relationships with people, whether it's through the chamber, whether it's through your business, maybe even in your personal life. Uh, people getting to know people. People helping people, I'm sure, is is a big piece of your success in the last 18, 19 years. Well, it has been very successful to have those relationships, do a lot of networking, a lot of display boosts to let people know all the products that we have and, and then try to help them out. Sure, sure. My my big takeaways from our discussion today is is obviously relationships and personal service play a big part in the 20 years in success. And um, you actually... Uh, just were inspired to to start Cartridge World, and that uh, was a successful franchise out of others. Um, the personal service that you provide really differentiates yourself uh, and your company from its competitors, and then your community service and building relationships and getting to know businesses really seems to be the, the winning combination and a, and a big part of your success. Yes, it is. Thank you. And so... For our listening audience, uh, someone maybe has some printer needs uh, out there. What is the best way to get in touch with you or get in touch with Cart Cartridge World Lawrenceville? You can Google Cartridge World Lawrenceville. You can call us. Um, you can email us. Um, you can email me personally, which would be nancy at cartridgeworldlawrenceville.com. It's long. Uh, um, but we, we work a lot of different ways. You can order online also. Just go to our website, and you can put in what you're looking for. And we do respond back very quickly with people. So um, we will help you with any printer cartridges need, whether they're newer printers or older printers. And we also do sell printers and do repairs. Wonderful. Well, congratulations again on almost 20 years in business and uh, best wishes for 20 more years, Nancy. Sounds great. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> and so our conversation is now going to switch to uh, Neely Shaw. Neely is with the law offices of Neely Shaw. Uh, really what I wanted to start with, Neely, is um, I want to talk a little bit about the probate process. What do business owners need to know about the probate process first? So um, business owners are unique in that the probate process um, 
may be more complicated for them. So let me back up and start with, well, what is probate? How does it work for just individuals? And then we'll kind of switch to, well, why is it more complicated for business owners? So when I'm explaining the probate process to my clients, whether they're business owners or not, I break it down into three steps. The first step is getting the executor or the administrator appointed by a court. Okay. So one of the very common misconceptions um, that I come across from clients, they will call and they will say, well, I have a will, um, you know, or I've got my spouse's will or my parents' will. I'm named as the executor. So how do I get started? Well, the first step is that it's not automatic. Just because you are named as the executor in a person's will, we still have to file with the court. We have to file a petition asking the court to approve the will and then appoint that person who is named in the will as the executor. Now, if there isn't a will, then that person is called an administrator. And again, same thing. We have to petition the court to appoint an interested party as the administrator. So that's step one. Once that happens, then phase two is administering the estate. That includes notifying debtors and creditors, paying the debts, and then kind of just managing the estate, seeing what is left to transfer to the heirs or beneficiaries. Again, heirs, if you don't have a will, beneficiaries are typically named in the will. Excuse me, in the will. So, and then step three is to close the estate, right? So now this is kind of the the general process that everybody has to go through. Why are business owners more complicated? Well, one, because business owners typically have partners. If they have a business, this is not a jointly owned asset, meaning now this business, if it's 100% owned by this business owner, becomes part of a probate estate, right? That causes continuity issues. Who's managing the business? Do you have good governance documents? Do you have, you know, who's going to cut the paychecks? Who's going to give instructions to the employees? Who's managing the relationships? Slowly, things can start falling apart. So you need a plan. Also debts, right? If there's business debts involved, there's personal guarantees involved. All of those things complicate the middle part, the estate administration part. And that can go on for years. I mean, there is no limit that there's, you know, the probate is for one year. I've had probates that have been open for 10 years because there's just complicated assets and a business is a complicated asset. So that's why I think it's very important for business owners to understand probate and then do planning around that. And either they understand it and they say, okay, I know what to do, or they do the planning to avoid it. Well, that's a, uh, that's a great answer and something that is incredibly detailed. So uh, I do want to get into uh, business owners and uh, uh, personal guarantees in, in just a moment. Uh, we're talking to Neely Shaw, who is the attorney with the law offices in Neely Shaw, Neely believes that for any well-drafted estate plan to work in practice, it must also work within the family dynamics of each unique family structure. That is why she works hard to create a confidential environment where clients feel comfortable sharing their family's unique goals and challenges. So, Neely, I want to talk a little bit about business owners. You know, they do have debt. Some of that debt is personal. Some of it's business debt. Uh, As a former banker, I know that 
company debt usually has personal guarantees associated with it, uh, those dreaded things that uh, those business owners uh, hate to sign. Uh, does that personal guarantee have an impact on the probate process as well? Absolutely. So if you think about it, if a business has loans that are guaranteed, that are personally guaranteed by the owner, now if that owner passes away, the bank is now all of a sudden concerned about that business loan. That's, the, that's why they asked for that personal guarantee in the first place. So now that business is going to start asking questions. They're going to either, if there's another owner, right? So if this business owner maybe owned 50%, there's another business owner that was also personally guaranteed the loan. Maybe they're comfortable just basing it on that personal guarantee of the other owner. And maybe the relationship continues. If that's not the case and the other business owner doesn't have strong credit history and maybe the only personal guarantee was for, you know, this one business owner who passed away, the bank may start you know, calling the loans. They have the right to do that. I mean, right, like that's probably built into, again, we have to read the contract. We have to read the debt terms, but it's very likely that it's built into the, the language of, of those, you know, business loans in the personal guarantee that the bank has a right to what they call accelerate the loan. So, you know, go ahead and call the loan. Essentially, what that means for the business is now things are going to start falling apart because they don't have that, that loan. They don't have that capital available. So it's, it's a renegotiation with the bank. It's, you know, looking at kind of essentially it's like a refinance um, going through within a probate process. So it can absolutely complicate the process. Yeah, so we've talked a little bit about the probate process. We've talked about how personal guarantees can even uh, uh, further uh, complicate uh, probate. And so uh, I want to uh, kind of flip the conversation. Are there ways to avoid having to go through this probate process? Absolutely. Um, one thing that I tell all my business owner clients, um, whether they are a new business, a growing business, an exiting business, um, if you, because most of my business owner clients and, and you know, you guys are all business owners here. So uh, tell me if, if this is not the case or you, you feel differently, but they tend to be, you know, they're, they're very entrepreneurial minded. So they tend to kind of, if you have a business, you're also going to venture into invest in some real estate. You're going to dabble in a few other things. You're not just going to do one thing and kind of just, just do that thing. So at least that's the personality that I see most in my practice. And so with that said, if you've got a lot of, you know, businesses or interests that are owned just in your name, you want to create what's called a revocable living trust structure. Now it's revocable. So it's like a will. You can change it at any time. But unlike a will, which is just a document of your intent, a living trust exists and can hold assets. Meaning if I pass away and my business is owned through my revocable trust, my business can con be continued to own by that trust, right? I don't personally own it. Because the probate process is basically that appointment of the executor is a fiduciary position. Somebody is stepping into my shoes because I am no longer here, mm -hmm. right? So we are taking that out of the equation by having the trust hold the asset or the property. Ah, okay. Right? So we are no longer, the trust can't pass away. 
So if I passed away, my trust still continues to hold that asset. And now I've got the trust, which is a contract for, you know, on a most basic level between the grantor and the trustee. Now the trust says, if Neely passes away, the business passes to her business partner or it passes to her spouse or, or whatever I want. And the trust says that. So it's a triggering event. My death now is a triggering event and it can go on without any court filings. Now, if I have debt, I still have to deal with the debtors. But again, you can plan around that. So what I tell um, a lot of my, because we can't get around personal guarantees. You want to grow your business, you got to have business loans, you've got to sign personal guarantees. Yep. Okay, there's no, no getting around it. So now we use life insurance to plan around that, right? We say, okay, I've got this much risk, I've got this much liability. Do I have the proper risk management plan? Do I have the proper life insurance? Is everything, you know, right beneficiary designations? Is it going to the right people? And we just plan for that. We plan around it. So absolutely, we can definitely plan around that and avoid having to file for probate at all. Yeah, so the Revocable Living Trust is a great vehicle uh, to use in lieu, which um, allows you to not go through that painful probate process. That's right. Now, it's you're experiencing death, right? It, uh, probate inevitably comes at a point when somebody's lost somebody. So there's always pain. We, I, I never want to say I can take away your pain. It's just never going to happen. Sure. Um, but we can make it much simpler. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is a great vehicle. We're talking to Neely Shaw with the law offices of Neely Shaw. Uh, they believe that planning for the future should be purposeful and practical. Uh, they work with and or help to develop a collaborative team of advisors committed to navigating the planned and unplanned transitions in life. Um, Neely, we have a lot of business owners who are listeners. Uh, so what would you tell a business owner who does not know where to start the estate planning process? Sure. Um, I always start with two main goals because um, I what I've found is well, there's two things that most business owners should know and think through. One is the probate process and, you know, based on their tolerance and dealing with the court system, avoiding the probate process. So that's one. And we've hinted on that and, and talked about it a little bit. The other um, is estate tax planning. Now, this may not apply to everybody, but it's something they should know about, especially for growing businesses. So I give them an overview of that, but where they need to start for whether they have a taxable estate, which right now the exemptions are quite high, they're $12.9 million per person. And there's this concept of portability between spouses. So if you have a couple, you know, you're looking at about $25.8 million of exemption before you have an estate tax or a taxable estate. So again, but, but good to know it's information because those exemptions change. They may be cut in half. Come 2026, according, you know, if the law, if Congress doesn't do anything. So it's very, it's, a, it's very important for that they know about that just from a 30,000 foot view. Um, but also from a starting perspective, start with basics. Do you have a will? Do you have a power of attorney? Do you have a healthcare directive? Right? Um, do you have a revocable living trust if probate avoidance is important to you? Those are the basics. Um, start there. And then we build on it. And I say this all the time. Estate planning is not a check the box. I've got my estate planning. I put them in a drawer. Okay, I'm good. That's not the process. It's a dynamic process. 
as your business grows, as your life changes, you know, you want to pull that out, that folder or the, the binder, whatever you have, pull it out, read it. Does this still work for me? Right? That's the question you're asking every couple of years. Just make it part of your financial planning process. And then, you know, as your business grows, perhaps you have a taxable estate. Maybe we need to do some estate tax planning. Let's build on that. But everybody should have the basics. Yeah. And uh, I've always found that growth increases the complexity of the business, but that growth also increases the complexity of the planning behind the business. Absolutely. And the family circumstances are going to also evolve and change with that growth. Sure. So, um, yeah, Um, to me, start with the basics. Estate planning should be done in stages, right? So um, get your basics taken care of, and then you reevaluate, and you're going to build on that. And then maybe you do need an irrevocable trust because you need to do some tax planning. Maybe you need to do some asset protection planning. We build on that. Yeah. Just, you know, add the complexity. So I think what I'm hearing is, is first, we talked a little bit about probate. Probate is a process that sounds complicated, uh, complex, uh, there are ways to avoid having to go through um, uh, probate. Uh, the revocable living trust is certainly one of those. Um, and certainly as business owners uh, that have debt, have personal guarantees, those guarantees complicate the process. Uh, and that business owner who doesn't know where to start needs to start with the basics, uh, a will, healthcare directives, power of attorney, things like that. And uh, if someone hasn't really started that planning and wants to, Neely, what's what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, our website is um, www.neelyshawlaw.com, and that's spelled N-E-E-L-I-S-H-A-H-L-A-W.com. They can call me at 404-988-4922, or they can email me directly at nshaw at neelyshawlaw.com, and that's N-S-H-A-H, at Neely, my first name, N-E-E-L-I-S-H-A-H, the word law, L-A-W.com. Neely, uh, just a, a great information for those business owners that are in need of planning. Thank you so much for coming on Profit Sense today. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. And our conversation now turns to Carl Barham. Carl is uh, president of Trans World Business Advisors of Atlanta Peachtree, um, Carl, you know, selling a business, um, certainly you've had a lot of experience. Uh, what do you feel like is the biggest mistake, uh, small business owners make? Well, thank you for having me on today. And, and it's absolutely planning. Um, I, I, I remember there used to be a commercial called where's the beef. And I have an acronym for beef. One is every business should have a business plan B. Second, they should have an estate plan. And you heard of all the reasons why that's important because a business is a complex thing to transfer. Third, they should have an exit plan for their business. If you have a startup plan, you should have what's going to happen at the end. And the last one is a financial plan. And all four of those things tie together. But for business owners, it's amazing to me that when I talk with them, they may have a business plan. They may have a financial plan that includes a retirement plan. If they're wise, they have an estate plan. But most business owners we talk to don't think about the exit and an exit plan. And it could have a drastic impact on how they pass their business on to a successor. And more importantly, the value they can get that they built up over many, many years of hard work. 
Yeah, and the thing that comes to my mind is what I found in my banking background and, and still now today, uh, the value of that closely held business is more often than not the largest asset that they own on their personal balance sheet, Carl. So it it seems to make sense that uh, they would do planning to transition that asset to cash, but often uh, that planning just kind of goes awry. Absolutely. If you think about it, when you own a house, you can go on Zillow or somewhere and you'd have an idea what the house is worth and, 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 and you have that asset that you could pass on to your children. But a business, the value of a business can vary quickly. Um, the profits and, and the cash flow that the business generate can change in a year. We had a pandemic year where a lot of businesses went through drastic changes. Now, imagine if that was your retirement plan and you had a sudden half of your revenue. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's almost criminal for business owners to do that for themselves and their family. Now, with a retirement plan, they at least have some other resources that can happen. But for their business, it's really important that they think through that exit plan and they get people that could help them figure out the different elements of that so that they're prepared. And they should start when they when they first start a business, when they're middle of running it and loving it, but especially when they're getting to the end of that journey, whether it's retirement whether they want to move on to do something else, even if they want to pass it on to their children. There's a tax event that happens in a lot of that, and they should still understand the value of the business and how it's going to be transferred to someone else. Yeah, I had the experience recently um, of being introduced to a business owner by their banker and really found out that uh, uh, this business owner had 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 a business, had built it, uh, but really had done very little retirement planning. And so, uh, immediately got this uh, person in touch with a wealth manager or someone to to help. But uh, a lot of times that planning uh, just doesn't get done. I want to uh, kind of switch uh, topics with you here a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about the myths and facts around small business valuation. Yeah, so it's important to understand the, the value of your business. If you think about it, anybody that has bought stocks at a given time, you can go look online and see how much Apple stock or Tesla stock or General Electric stock is worth. Why do you think it's important for investors, managers of the biggest company in the world to know exactly what the company is valued at a particular time? 31 million businesses in the U.S., 98% of them are small businesses, and most small business owners don't understand the value. Now, when you ask a person how much is a business worth, they'll tell you a number question is, where did they get that number from? Right. Is it what you put in, what you invested? It is all the sweat and heartache that you went through? Or is it something that has to be defendable to a lender who might lend someone money to buy your business or to an, a sophisticated buyer that understands that I'm willing to buy a business, but it's basically a return on investment that I'm looking for. Businesses typically will go for 20 to 30% return on investment as high as 50%. So it's really important for you to understand the value because it'll dictate what decisions you make with your business. So the first thing is they think their business is worth more than, than it is. That's the, the first thing. The second, the second thing is most people don't realize at the end of their business, depending on how they do their bookkeeping, how they run their business, how they set it up. At the end, there's going to be a question of how much is this cash flow being generated from the business? Let me tell you something that you need to know. The more variable that cash flow is to a potential buyer or successor of your business, the more seller financing you may have to do. What is seller financing? This is when you become the bank because the bank is only going to underwrite a certain amount of that purchase that they can prove and feel confident will service the debt. 
If your business is worth more than that, but you can't prove it for various reasons, whether it's unreported cash flow, whether you've hidden um, personal expenses in the business, whether there's um, risk that is inherent to the business, that delta in the value of the business may, may require you to be the bank and hold a note for that for that new buyer. Most people don't realize that that's the reality. Seven out of 10 deals we do have seller finance in it. And many of the ones that have bank finances will require that as help as well, because the SBA and banks have figured out that they want to make sure that the owner of the business has some skin in the game as they're transferring the business. Yeah, that is a great point. We're talking to Carl Barham, who's co-owner and president of Transworld Business Advisors of Atlanta Peachtree. Uh, his firm's a global leader in business brokerage and merger, mergers and acquisitions. Carl is a res- recognized expert in business sales, valuations, and business coaching. Uh, Carl, I want to kind of now talk a little bit about selling a small business. Uh, is selling a small business complex? And what is the process or what are the steps? So most people have a reference point when they've sold their house or bought a house. Um, usually you go around and you, you look online or you'll go visit a house. You walk through the house um, you see what you like, you then make an offer on it, and then there's a process around getting funding and closing. Well, business sales have some elements for it. So in some ways, you can think that it's simple. But what's really different is there's complexity in a business. A house will have a public record of what it was bought and sold for. Businesses are private transaction. You don't really see that. So it's important to know what the process is, and I'll walk you through high level. First, it starts with evaluation on the business. Do you understand what the business is worth? And be able to present that in a way to someone so that they can understand that. Second, it's important that when you sell the business that you do not put a sign on the door that the business is for sale. You've got employees, you've got customers, you've got the community, you've got suppliers. You don't want to cause disruption and and confusion with everybody. So you have to figure out a way, how am I going to find people that would buy my business without being able to to tell everyone that I'm doing it. So a method of marketing it confidentially becomes really important. You got to tell the story of your business. You got to figure out a way to pack. They're going to want to know about your marketing. They want to know about your employees, your, your rent if you're leasing a place or the property, your sales techniques, your customer list. All of this information has to be able to deliver it in a, in, a, in a comprehensive way, but you don't have time to pull out all these documents and tell a full story. So packaging that story in a way that someone can make an informed decision on whether they want to make an offer is important. Once you get two parties to come to an agreement on, on it, there's still more work to be done. There's due diligence. Due diligence includes going through the business, uh, business records, checking everything. Think of it like in a housing inspection. You get an inspector to go in there and check the roof. Well, the buyer is going to do the same thing with your financial record. They're going to look at your insurance claims over time. They're going to look at your contracts with the business. You have to be prepared to do that. And the last step of it is getting it to close. Let me tell you one thing that most business owners don't realize about this process. Imagine a world when you're trying to sell your business to someone that you don't know. And at the same time, you have to help them get funding from a bank to do it. It feels like you're in a weird position. And you have to negotiate with them price and different terms, how long you're staying. But then you also have to have a good relationship after the close during the transition. It puts people in an awkward position. That's what makes it complex. There's a lot of moving parts to be able to sell a business. And it's just important, once you understand the process and what order they go in, the process can be moved through. And we do thousands of that a year selling businesses. It's just you have to know what you're doing. 
That really is complex. Uh, and I've heard often that uh, business owners selling the business have a much higher value in mind uh, than what a buyer potentially is willing to pay. So a lot of times it's uh, the price is determined by what a willing buyer and a willing seller are willing to trade at. You are absolutely right. That, that is has to be absolutely restated. The market will dictate the price of your business. Yeah. No matter what you've invested, you could put up in a million dollars into the business, built out the most fabulous facilities. But at the end of the day, you have to find someone that recognizes the value. I want to share with you one thing that often happens. I, I have clients that will come in and they'll ask me to look for a unicorn. I don't know if you've ever seen a unicorn. I haven't. I do believe, according to my girls, that they're out there. I just don't know <laughs> when I'm going to see one. A unicorn in my world is that buyer that sees the value of your business and the way you see it and is willing to pay well over what can be defended on paper. That's a unicorn. I would tell you it's a surprising number of buyers that come in and ask me, can I find a unicorn to buy their business? I tell them, I can try. I just don't know if you'll ever see them in our lifetime. Yeah, great point. We're talking today with Carl Barham with Transworld Business Advisors. Uh, Transworld is a world leader in the marketing and sale of businesses, franchises, and commercial real estate. Whether you represent an acquisition-minded corporation or are personally interested in owning your company, Transworld offers professional services that successfully bring buyers and sellers together. Um, baby boomers. I, I am one. Uh, baby boomers are approaching retirement. Um this is often called the silver tsunami. Carl, can you comment on baby boomers and, and their retirement and how that's impacting your market? Yeah, it, it's an amazing thing. Everyone knows and has heard about how baby boomers are retiring is impacting the world, the labor market. Um, small businesses, if you think about the economic growth that's happened over the last 50, 60 years, it's been the largest ever in humanity. So you have all of these businesses that are owned by these baby boomers. And normally, people would retire in their 60s or so, 50s, 60s. Maybe they sell their business, pass it on to their children, is the way they would find a successor. Well, what's interesting now is that 72 million baby boomers all are retiring now at the same time. And they should have started much sooner, but they did it. In 2008, when we had the recession caused by the mortgage crisis, a lot of business owners lost a lot of money and their businesses struggled. It took them over 10 years to recover, build their business back. So they were 64 or 63, and now they're 73 and 74, and they're tired. And we just went through a pandemic, and so they're really done now. That added five years. So now they went to their children, their sons and daughters, and say, look, you're ready to take over the family business. And now they're in California. They're influencers on YouTube. They're working for Google. They're doing a thousand different things, but they're not taking over their family businesses. So this is triggering an event that more businesses will come to market. And I'm talking two, three, four times the amount of businesses that are sold today every year. Over the next 10 years, annually, more businesses will change hands than ever before. Now, if you know economics, you know supply and demand. What happens when the supply skyrockets? More businesses, if you own a pizza restaurant or a warehouse, a manufacturing company or distribution company, and now when you try to sell yours, you have five, six, seven similar businesses available. It depresses the prices. So when that happens, there's going to be a lot of people out there buying businesses, but you're going to have a lot of competition. 
We're advising business owners now that are thinking of retiring in the next three to five years. Start with your plan. Start with your financial plan. See where you are. Start looking at your exit plan. It might make sense to sell your business now. Think of it taking cash off the table, put it in other investments. You can hang on a little bit to transition the business and go find something else that you're passionate to do before you wait for every other business owner to decide to sell at the same time. We call that the silver tsunami, and it's impacting. Over the last several years, we've seen more businesses coming to the market than ever before. So for our baby boomer listeners out there uh, who are thinking about selling, what, what can they actually do to prepare for a business sale? Well, it's really important to prep your business in a couple different ways, and I'll tell you the missteps that we see often that you can you can do something about. The first thing is your business is really, when you're describing it to somebody, it's a function of your bookkeeping and your records. What can you prove? And let me tell you why this is so important. For the many 30 years that you've run your business, you were the single shareholder. You only had to report to yourself. So it didn't matter what your books looked like. If you liked your bank account, you're fine. The second you go outside of yourself, your company, and you go to a lender or a buyer, now someone outside is inspecting your books and records. And when you say that you're making this much cash, they're going to want to see it. So keeping records, having good bookkeeping, even if you're doing your own bookkeeping, if you love it and you're talented, do it. But I would recommend that you find someone either delegating your company, someone that does it better and can focus on it and do it well, that's well-trained, or you outsource and you find somebody that can help you with that. It will be a reckoning the day when you go in front of the bank and they can't find the profit in your business and they're not sure what the records are. The second thing is work on building your business. Think of it like a race. At the end of a 100-yard dash, you sprint through the finish line. You don't slow up. Well, you'll start feeling the, the, the instinct to slow up. That's the time to get a coach to improve the business, to go into new markets, to develop new products, to build new teams, systems in your business. Because guess what the buyer wants? They want all of that. If they have to build it, they're going to discount the value of your business. The last thing I would say is build your team. You need a leadership. If you think about it, if someone very successful was looking to buy your business and you are the the, the bottle washer, the cook, the chef, you serve, you clean, you do everything in your business, what really is that person buying? I think they're buying a job. But guess what? They're a successful business person, so they probably have a full-time job already. The more you're able to build the team around your business, tenured staff, leadership, people that can generate sales, those things within your business, it's going to be more attractive to a business owner. The last thing I would say is you need to get a valuation on your business every year. Understand what it is today. If you don't like the number, implement actions and specific things, get help to improve those numbers so that when it's time to sell the business, you're not shocked at the value that you get for it. Yeah, so a lot of my takeaways uh, to help a business owner prepare, obviously, uh, focus on building the business, uh, get a valuation each year. Uh, there is that silver tsunami coming. So business owners that are baby boomers, uh, supply and demand, there's potentially going to be depressed prices. So possibly consider selling now versus waiting. Uh, certainly uh, selling a business is complex. We talked about the uh, steps. And then I think finally, uh, the biggest mistake, uh, from what I heard, is is business owners uh, are aren't planning, and uh, failing to plan is almost like planning to fail. Um, 
Carl, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, there's a couple of ways. So um, you can visit our website, which is www.tworld.com backslash Atlanta Peachtree. Um, you can visit, there's a lot of resources for business owners, including a business valuation tool that give you an idea of value on there. You can reach out for a consult for myself and one of my team members to be able to come in and help you value your business and explore your options. Two, you can reach me by email, kbarham at tworld.com. Um, shoot me an email. Love to set up a consult with you to talk about your options. And you could also reach us by phone, 770-766-9855. Um, any one of those ways. More importantly, it's really about planning, being proactive in your future because you built a legacy. I think I'd love to see you get the most value out of it. And you can do that with a little bit of planning and help. Yeah. Carl, great information today. Thanks so much for coming on Profit Sense. Oh, my pleasure. I want to take a moment to uh, talk a little bit about cash flow and the power of one. Uh, if you talk to any business owner, one topic that's almost always on their mind is cash flow. Uh, you may have heard the saying, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, but cash flow is reality. After all, let's be clear, profits don't pay operating expenses or bank loans, cash does. If you're struggling with cash flow or need a little breathing room, I highly suggest you look at the concept, the power of one, of making small incremental changes over time. For a business owner that carries inventory, what's the impact of reducing inventory uh, by one day consecutively over the course of the year? If one day of inventory inventory purchases is $40,000 and they could do that one day six times, that's a $240,000 increase in cash flow. Same rule applies on collecting receivables. Let's say a company does about $8 million a year. That's about 22200 a day. If they can do the same six one-day improvements, that's 133000 improvement in their cash flow. So take some of the stress of running your business away by taking the initiative to improve your cash flow through a series of small improvements over a period of time. You'll be glad you did. If you want to keep up with the latest in pro-business news, follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at The Profitability Coach. If you want to listen to past or future ProfitSense episodes, you can find us on ProfitSenseRadio.com. This is ProfitSense with Bill McDermott signing off. Make it a great day.